Amen. All right. So we are in the book of Obadiah. And before we uh, start going through the chapter, just want to give you a little uh, background and history of Obadiah just to kind of help you understand what is going on. And it's, it's so important whenever you read these prophecies, these minor prophecies, that we know what's going on. It, it, helps, um, it helps the prophecies make sense. Otherwise, it's just why, you know, why are these guys talking all this doom and gloom? Well, there's a reason for it. There's stuff that's been going on. And so this, uh, this particular prophecy of Obadiah, this is a prophecy to Edom. Okay? Now, it's important that we understand the history of Israel and Edom. Before we go through the book of Obadiah, we're going to go over some of this. Okay? And first off, though, who was Obadiah? All right. Now, can anybody think of another story in the Bible where we see Obadiah? Anybody remember? Remember Obadiah that hid the prophets in the cave? Now, is this the same Obadiah? Now, I thought it was. Okay, I, I thought it was. But it actually is not. It is not the same Obadiah. This is a completely different Obadiah. In fact, if you look at, my, uh, if you look at the Reese Chronological Bible, uh, it has Obadiah um, written... It's, it's actually the earliest of the minor prophets, which I thought was interesting because I wanted to see one time what the first mention of the day of the Lord was chronologically. And according to the Reese Chronological Bible, Obadiah would have been the first one. The problem is, Obadiah was not written when it says it was written. And, I, and the reason the Chronological Bible gets it wrong is you do read about Obadiah that was there in the days of Elisha or Elijah. And during that time, and I believe it's First Kings 18, it, uh, it talks about a revolt that was going on against Israel from Edom during that time. So it would kind of make sense when you're reading the book of Obadiah and you see that there's an Obadiah in the book of First Kings, and during that time there was a revolt from Edom, that it makes sense that Obadiah would go and do a prophecy against Edom. The problem is, what we see them getting in trouble for here, what he's calling out Edom for here, had not happened yet. This is something that specifically happened. He specifically says what they did in this passage. It gets them this prophecy. And this did not happen until years and years later. Okay, So, if this Obadiah is the same as the Obadiah that we see in 1 Kings, then that means that would be pretty cool because that would mean Obadiah gave this prophecy against them for something that they were going to do. And then they did it. I guess that's possible, but I guess I don't really see any evidence of that. It makes sense too because of the fact that the day of the Lord is mentioned and we don't really see the day of the Lord being mentioned until later that um, you know it really wasn't a theme yet during that time, but... I believe all evidence points to this being after uh, after that time. And but the one of the reasons people miss this is whenever you are looking at the timeline of things in Israel, remember how I explained to you Second Chronicles chapter thirty six, it goes to where they go into captivity and then it basically skips seventy years, right? Remember that it basically skips seventy years and then it talks about how they were restored to their land, which was made to fulfillment of prophecy. And then when you get to Ezra and Nehemiah, 
That is all after that. So we have about 70 years of history that's pretty much skipped. The Bible doesn't say that much about it, but a lot of the prophecies in the major and minor prophets did take place during that time. So if you want to kind of get a chronological idea of what's going on, you know, a lot of these prophecies that we, that we see are during that time of the captivity. And this is one of them. Okay, This is one of them. And I'll prove that to you whenever we start going through the book of Obadiah when Obadiah brings up some specific charges against Edom. So this is not the Obadiah that hid the prophets in the cave. This is some. This prophecy was written after they were taken into captivity. So make sure, make sure you remember that. So um, the Edomites—they're the ones being prophesied against. And the Edoms—they they had a long history of fighting with Israel. First off, they were fighting with. Does anybody remember when the battle between Edom and Israel started? You know when it started. In the womb. Remember that that's what the Bible teaches. I mean, Rebecca, she's pregnant with two people. She had two nations inside her, and they fought with each other in the womb. So these guys, I mean, from conception are pretty much fighting with each other. And you know what? Edom and Israel are still fighting with each other today. We'll say more about that later. I'll try it's that Palestinian is Israeli conflict, right? No, no, that, that's, that's not it. But Edom and Israel still don't get along. So, at least, well, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But uh, look what it says in Numbers chapter 20. Now, this was a very key event, okay? Because um, this, you know, hostility between Edom and Israel, it ran deep. And it was very serious, and God never forgot about some of these things that Edom did to Israel. You don't mess with God's people. It says in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 14, it says, And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom, Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us. This is after they've come out of the land of Egypt, and they need passage through this land, through their land. It says, our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, He heard our voice and sent an angel, and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy borders. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway, and if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand, then Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore, Israel turned away from him. So right here, this was, a, this was just a cruel thing. Israel's not asking to have a battle with them. They're not asking to take anything. They just they need passage through. They are in a weak place. They need help. And you know we see in the Bible that God, it was very important, God didn't want Israel vexing the stranger, oppressing the poor. 
You know, they had laws that if somebody's traveling through your fields, they're allowed to take of the corn and eat it. But yet, when it came to Edom, I mean, this is their brother. The Bible often would refer to Edom as the brother of Israel. Even years later, it would call them that. And here they are. Their, they need, their brother needs help. And all they're asking is to be allowed passage through, and they refused it. And so they had to go a different way. We're not going to read all the story, but that way that they had to go was very hard on Israel. It was very difficult. The people were very discouraged because of the way that they had to go. Edom, and the only reason Edom stopped them, it was just hatred. That's all it was to it. Edom hated Israel. And so when Israel had a need, it wasn't going to take a thing away. The people just want to pass through their borders. They want to pass through. They're not even going to take anything. They said no. And they even brought people against them with the sword saying, we're going to kill you if you come through here. That was a very wicked thing that they did. And God never forgot about that. So that was something that... In fact, turn over to the book of Amos. Look at just Right back from Obadiah. Look at, look at chapter 1 and verse 11. It says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword and did cast off all pity and his anger did tear perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. I believe that God's referring back to what they did back when Israel was going through the wilderness. God did not forget about that. Edom was going to pay for their treatment of their brother Israel. And Edom has still yet to pay for what they did to Israel. And Edom is going to pay for what they did to Israel. Mark that down. Israel or Edom is still in trouble for this. God has not fully dealt with them yet. But 2 Chronicles chapter 21 we're not going to take time to read it. Verses 5-10, through 10, that's the story where the Edomites revolted against Israel. And this is why a lot of people place Obadiah during that time. Because there was an Obadiah around during that time and there was stuff going on with Edom during that time where they're revolting against Israel. And once again, they were doing it at a time when Israel was vulnerable. Edom, they were always just kind of sitting there watching Israel, just waiting for bad things to happen, looking for an opportunity to knock them down a peg or two. That was the way they were. And that was very, very wicked. And there's and, and remember that because there's an application of course we need to make for ourselves when it comes to that that, that we're gonna I'm gonna point out later. So but this was right here, this was the big thing that they did that prompted this prophecy from Obadiah. Now we don't read about this in the regular historical books of Israel, it's just not there because that remember that part the period of captivity, it's kind of skipped as far as in Second Chronicles, it doesn't talk about any of that. But Psalms 137. Now this is where I noticed. This is when I realized when I was reading Obadiah this time because I preached on Psalms 137 when I was in Ireland, and I remember when I was studying this. Uh, uh, noticing this story, and then I realized that I was reading Obadiah. This is what Psalms 137 was referring to. But look what it says in verse seven. 
uh, says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundations thereof. So right there, what that's talking about, this is right here, this, uh, this prophecy is about Israel when they went into captivity. It starts out by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. This is like a sad psalm that they, that they wrote when they were in captivity. The people are wanting them to sing the songs of Zion, and they're like, how can we sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? And right here, it, it's asking them in this prayer for God to remember Edom. Why? Because they said, raise it, raise it, basically meaning tear it down even to the foundations thereof. Why did they do that? Whenever Israel was being taken captive by Babylon, you know what Edom was doing? They were cheering on their enemies. Edom didn't even care that the Babylonians were a wicked people. They just hated Israel so much, they were glad to see them go down. And so what are they doing? They're cheering. They're seeing all the bad that's happening in Israel and they're thrilled to death about it. That right there angered God greatly. And you say, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. That was a big deal. That was a very big deal. And it, it bothered Israel, for one. They're praying that God would remember Edom for doing this. And God did remember Edom for doing this. And here we have a whole book of the Bible devoted to Edom. And there's a lot of prophecies about Edom. Ezekiel has a bunch of prophecies about Edom. You know, Amos had prophecies against Edom. There are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament against Edom, and most of it is because of what we see there in Psalms 137. There they were cheering on the enemies of Israel. When their brother is being taken down, they are celebrating. That's wrong. Kind of like the way my sisters used to celebrate when I would be getting spanked and things like that. I never did anything like that. But... <laughs> uh, but uh, hopefully other homes aren't like that. But this shouldn't have been. But this is what was going on. And so we need to understand, you know, I believe that God, one of the reasons God hated Esau, because remember in Malachi, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, it was because of their hatred for Israel. You know, and isn't that why we hate, you know, some people? We hate those who hate the Lord. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. We all, you know, we hate those who hate those that we love. Okay, you can't love someone who hates someone that you love. Someone who's trying to hurt someone you love. You can't love people like that. You know, you're gonna you're gonna hate those people. And here you've got Israel, God's people, and then you have Edom that just despises them. They hate them. They have no reason for that, but yet they do. They hate them in such a great way. And look at what God said to Malachi. In verse 3, it says, And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness, whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Okay, so, I say all that to say, God's not done with Edom. Alright? Now let me ask you, where is Edom? I've had an interesting conversation one time with one of these uh, Israel missionaries. 
And this was before I, I was real, you know, caught up on this subject, but I was, I was coming around. And I was asking him, I was like, so, you know, the Edomites, you know, or the Muslims, are they from Esau or from Ishmael? Which one? And he's like, both. And it's because you can see in the Old Testament where they kind of did some intermarrying and everything. And it's very, very possible that that's true. That Muslims come from Esau and Ishmael. That's, that's possible. Either way, it doesn't matter. Because God does not name a people based off their genes. It's based off their works. Okay? That, and I've, I've, already, I've preached messages showing that before. But let me ask you, who are the people that are there today that hate God's people? They have no reason. It's Israel. Okay? Physical Israel. They hate God's people. And you know what's interesting about that? I don't want to get too sidetracked on this. In the book of 1 John, what is the great sin that he keeps talking about? Hating your brother. And I showed you when we were going through the book of 1 John how what was going on there, you had two groups of people that all came from the same place. You know, The Jews and the church, they came from the same place. Two manner, two manner of people. But it was the Jews that re, you know they that did not follow the Old Testament that rejected Christ. And what did they do? They persecuted their brothers, didn't they? Their physical brothers, they persecuted them. And you know what the Bible said? Uh, you know, the Bible called them liars. Why? Because they denied that Jesus was the Christ. But understand, spiritually physical Israel today is Edom. Okay? They're the ones that are persecuting the church. They are the ones that hate God's people. They are the ones that deny that Jesus is the Christ. They are, and they were the ones that you could say were our brothers. But they, they didn't like it when the prodigal came home, did they? They didn't like that. They didn't want to share in the inheritance. And so understand, I believe that these prophecies that we're seeing here are against the nation that most Baptists are worshiping today. But understand, it is them. They hate God's people. And we are God's people. And they hate us. Why? Because they're jealous. And who's the older brother in that situation? They're the older brother. Esau was the older brother over Jacob. So, I don't have time to you know, prove all that. I've proved that in the past. But, I do believe while this prophecy was directed at physical Edom, we need to understand that, remember, things change with the New Covenant. When the, the day of the Lord that was talked about in Obadiah, it didn't come back during that time because Israel rejected the Messiah. And so, understand, this prophecy is now going to be fulfilled in another way. There's, you know, it, it's, it's, things are playing out a little different. Now, because of that, but God is still going to deal with what's left of Esau and the Edomites, not because of a physical genetic line, but because of the works. And I and so I believe that you could apply this uh, to Israel. I really do, and I hate even calling them Israel, the synagogue of Satan. They are spiritually the Edomites. 
So, you know, so remember, this prophecy, it was prompted because of their rejoicing of Israel's captivity. Now let's go through Obadiah now that we kind of understand a little history. We've looked at the conflict that had been going on for hundreds of years between Esau and Jacob, or Edom and Israel. We now remember what they did that prompted this prophecy. They're rejoicing. They're cheering on the enemies. This was their big sin that they did. So look at verse 1. Here we have the announcement of God's prophet, the vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. So right there he spells it out. This is to Edom. This is to the Edomites. And it says in verse 2, Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. So Edom is being humbled by God because of their pride. Here they are. They've lifted themselves up, and God said, I'm going to bring you down. He says, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make these small, you're going to be greatly despised among the heathen. Okay? So now understand, it is not a Christian attitude to just go around hating nations. Y'all understand that? That's not the attitude that we ought to have. Okay, and understand, I don't hate the nation of Israel. I hate their antichrist religion. But I don't hate the people. I love, like the Apostle Paul, my heart's desire and pray for Israel is that they might be saved. Okay? But notice, he says, I'm going to make you despised among the heathen. Now, how has it been for Israel in the last couple thousand years? They have been greatly despised by the heathen. And because of that, they have suffered greatly. So, yes, God put it in the hearts of the heathen to despise them, but don't think you know don't let that fool you into thinking it's a good Christian thing to hate on the Jews. Okay? Hitler was not a good Christian. Hitler was a very wicked man. Hitler was a heathen. But you know what? Hitler despised the Jews, didn't he? And most nations have despised the Jews. God has made them and a lot of times people are like, well, I don't even see why, you know, they're such wonderful people. Well actually there's a whole bunch of reasons that you could. We're not going to get into that tonight. But either way, you know, why so much them? God put it in the heart of the heathen to despise them. It's part of their punishment. And yet, here you have these people. They're a small nation. They don't have anything. You know, they don't really have anything going for them. Yet they are so full of pride, still going around calling themselves the chosen people, and have even convinced ignorant Baptists that they're the chosen people. Convince moron Baptists to come over to Israel and bang their head on their wall with them and tell them how great they are and how much they love them. You know that's the, you know yeah they've been able to fool some idiots, but understand most of the world hates them and despises them. Why? God put it in their heart. Where do we see most of the world hating the Edomites? Nobody even knows who the Edomites are today. Well, it's just all the Muslims, really, because. You know, you got to show me some clear scripture on that, and I'm said I'm not seeing that. And notice too, the Muslims. I mean, they make up many, many nations. 
you know, and they're all over the place, you know. So it's like, and I mean, unless you're just going to make the almost all the Middle East all just one nation, I don't really know how you're going to be able to do that. And the truth is, when it comes to Israel, they have never thrived when it comes to uh, in, in a physical place, have they? Because think about it, in the last 2,000 years, where have they been geographically? Nowhere. Scattered all over the world. They went and they just they managed to succeed finally in 1948 to occupy some land, but do they even still have all of it today? No. There's, they're still fighting over it and it's still technically not even theirs. They're just occupying it. It's a military op, you know, occupation that's been going on for decades and decades. So try to tell me that they're thriving over there in Israel today. Just because they're managing to take advantage of some people, they're managing to oppress some people in a very tiny area, smaller than the size of Illinois, don't tell me they're succeeding, they're thriving. You know what it looks like? It looks like God's hand is against them, and it looks like they're still being despised among the nations, and it looks like that God has still made them small among the heathen. Are the Muslims small among the heathen? No. Especially if it's just going to be all the Muslims. They're huge. So, this can't be talking about the Muslims, but doesn't it fit the synagogue of Satan just perfect? It does fit them perfect because that's who they are today. They are spiritually of Edom. Not physically, but spiritually. So, Edom is being humbled because of their pride. And God did that to them. He laid their mountains in uh, desolate, but uh, in, in 70 AD, they got wiped out. They, they were totally wiped out and they have never recovered. So, look at verse 5. It says, If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? Uh, all the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. So notice the way, the way it's talking right here. I think what it's doing is it's showing how you know, these people that they were cheering for, they weren't their friends. They were going to get them too. You know, it, it was coming for them. It says, shall I, shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. So God's showing them here, you know, you've been cheering for those that are against my people. You've been rejoicing at their destruction, but just understand they're going to be coming from you, coming for you, and when you're destroyed, it's going to be total slaughter. You're going to be completely wiped out. What's coming for you is going to be much worse. Their destruction was going to be great and it was going to be thorough. And one of these days, they will be completely wiped out. One of these days, Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth after that battle of the great day of God Almighty and He's going to say to bring those to Him that would not have Him reign over them and they're going to kill them before Him. That's what's coming because God's not 
done with Israel. Or Edom. So sick of hearing these people say that. You know, they read Romans 11, turn it on its head, say God's not done with Israel, and it's like, I agree. You know, if you're talking about physical Israel, I just think God's finishing of them is going to be a little different than what you're thinking. And it's going to be bad. Let's look at verse 10. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. So has this prophecy happened yet? Because if it's the Muslims, you know, they haven't been cut off forever yet, have they? And it's clear it's going to be the day of the Lord when they're cut off forever. So the Edomites still have to be around. Edom still has to be around. I just believe it exists in that nation of Israel. It says, In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. Okay? So right here we can see this is referring to the Babylonian captivity that took place. So this dates the book of Obadiah for us. It says, But thou shouldst not have looked on the day of thy brother and the day that he became a stranger, neither shouldst thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, neither shouldst thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Here they are. They were watching. You know what they should have done? They should have helped. They should have helped. I believe if they had gotten involved and if they had fought for Israel, I believe God would have blessed them forever. But now they're the people upon whom the Lord hath indignation forever. They should have fought with them. They should have joined up with them just like the Jews should have joined up with the Christians. If they had joined up, they'd have been fine. But what have they done? They've persecuted. And you know what else they've done? They've rejoiced at all those who have persecuted Christians. You think, you think they weren't there cheering Rome on when it was slaughtering the Christians? You know they were. Just like they were cheering Rome on when they were slaughtering Jesus. There they were. Yes, it was Rome that did it. But notice how the Jews were the ones pushing them to do it. Putting the pressure on them to do it. They're the ones yelling, crucify Him, crucify Him. They were rejoicing over it. And therefore, they were partakers. And that's why it says... Uh, it, it, it basically accuses them here of being a partaker. Why? Because they're looking at it. They're enjoying it. They're rejoicing over it. You all realize too, when you look on certain things, when you cheer on, when you encourage certain things, you are a partaker. That's why we don't bid these people Godspeed. Okay? That's why we don't bless Jews. If, if, if they're bringing another, teaching another Gospel, if they're denying that Jesus is a Christ, we are not going to bid them Godspeed. The Bible says if we do, we're partakers of their evil deeds. Every one of these Baptists that go over to Israel and are getting their pictures with their arms around these Jewish rabbis are partakers of their evil deeds. Everybody thinks that verse in 2 John is for the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses weren't around back then. That was for the Jews because they were the ones denying that Jesus was the Christ. And all Christians who support Israel are partakers of their evil deeds. And just understand, it's only a matter of time and we will see Israel actively persecuting God's people 
and all those who look on that and rejoice and stand with them are partakers of their evil deeds. And you know what? I, 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 I'm telling you, the dispensational Baptist, when it all comes down, when the Jews are killing God's people, they'll be cheering them on. You think right now, if there was a conflict between Jews and Baptists, what side do you think the dispensationalists are going to be on? Oh, we can't put our hands against God's people. Yeah, but they're killing our people. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, we can't touch the Lord's anointed. Well, here's the problem. They're not the Lord's anointed. Okay? We are. We're the chosen generation of the royal priesthood, the holy nation, peculiar people. Not them. But verse 13 says, Thou shouldst not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldst not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldst thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldst thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. So notice notice what they were doing here. I mean, Obadiah is outlining what they did. So Babylon, they come through, they destroy them, they take them captive, and Edom sees that as an opportunity. They're like cheering them on. They're like, hey, you know what? Let's make sure none of them escape. And they're standing in the way watching for anyone who might get through. Babylon didn't ask them to do that. Babylon didn't need them to do that. They saw an opportunity to take advantage of Israel. And so there they are in a cruel way standing there saying, hey, let's see if we can take advantage of this and see who we can cut off. You know what they were? They're like, they were like looters. Okay. Have you ever seen looters whenever a natural disaster or something happens? What do they do? They go robbing businesses. You know how wicked that is? Let me tell you something. I don't want to get sidetracked here, but cops ought to be allowed to shoot looters. And business owners ought to be allowed to shoot looters. If a natural disaster happens and you have a business and a bunch of degenerate lowlives come running into your place trying to take advantage of a negative situation, you ought to be allowed to protect your stuff with lethal force. And you ought to be able to shoot people down to protect your television. Yes. Because that's what these people steal during natural disasters. They're not stealing food and water. They're stealing cell phones and electronics. I'm sorry. They, those people, you ought to be allowed to shoot those people. And I don't know if it's illegal or not. It probably is. But if a natural disaster happened around here, and even as a church, you know, we don't have anything worth looting here. But you know, we in your house, you ought to have the right in a natural disaster for if people come along and try to take advantage of that situation, you ought to be able to blow their heads off and not get in any trouble. And all the evidence that you shot them for a good reason is the fact that they're in your yard. Wait till they cross your borders, you know, and then sit up on your roof. And snipe them. Alright? You say, that's terrible. That is wicked. That is so wicked when people take advantage of situations like that. It's like, oh man, our neighbor died of a heart attack. Let's get over there before the ambulance does and steal their stuff. Do you realize how wicked that is? That's how some people are. A natural disaster happens. Instead of helping in the situation, they take advantage. That is, that's, that's a horrible thing. And it happens all the time. And you know, the news media, they don't like to let those videos get seen. They don't like to talk about that. 
because usually the people doing it are you know minorities and things, and they don't want to make them look bad. Hey, folks need to know if that kind of stuff's going on, and I don't care what color they are. Looters ought to be shot. That's just that's that's the way I feel about it. And Edom. So not only are they standing in the way, they're taking advantage of a situation. All right, let's kill anybody just because they can. They're also going into their gates. Hey man, these people have suffered a great defeat. Let's see what we can get from them now. They weren't even the ones that defeated them. You know, if it, you know, to the victors go the spoils. But you know, Babylon obviously they were so rich and you know they were conquering so much they didn't even really care. But Edom's like, hey, now that the Babylonians wiped them out. Let's go through and see if we can find anything else. Let's go see if they left anything and let's go take from them instead of helping them. But this, this, this attitude, or this was so wicked what they did. You're like, you know, why would God say he hated Esau? He wasn't talking about Esau the person. He was talking about Esau the nation. You all see why God hated Esau? This was wicked what they did. And man, our world is full of people like this today. It's full of people like this. Every, every, every major disaster that happens, looting takes place. And it is, it is a crime and it just angers me greatly when this kind of stuff goes on. I'm sick of seeing these things too where these flash mobs go into stores and just start stealing everything. That I'm sorry. Say, well, it's only stuff. You know, people shouldn't die over stuff. Well, you know, you ought to die if you're just a dirty, low-life thief just trying to take advantage of bad laws. Do you think these flash mobs would happen if Walmart and all these stores could have armed security? No, nope, it wouldn't happen. You know, they would, and do you think looting would happen if citizens were allowed to shoot looters? No, it wouldn't happen. And you know why? Because... People like this, they don't go to great efforts to do anything. They just do what's easy and convenient. They take advantage. And so it, the problem is solved if we're allowed to, you know, use lethal force or even just beat the snot out. Then the problem is solved. But our world today, our, our government, it's, it's handicapped people. It's tied their hands, just making degenerate low lives. You know, say, see opportunity everywhere. And opportunity is everywhere. Natural, you know, nat, uh, natural disaster happens and they get free stuff. And, but uh, that, that shouldn't be the case. And Esau and the Edomites would not have done any of this stuff had it not been for the opportunity. They always hid Israel when they were down. That was always their history. And that was a very wicked thing and God is still mad at them for it. So look at verse 15. It says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and they shall swallow down and they shall be as though they had not been. So right here we have a reminder of what's going to happen in the future. We have a reminder of this judgment that's coming. And notice how it says the day of the Lord is near. Did the day of the Lord has the day of the Lord come yet? No. In fact, the Bible says that you know the uh, day of Christ, I believe the day of Christ, the day of the Lord is the same thing. It's not at hand. 
Okay? Why not? Because some things changed. Some things changed. Israel did not receive the Messiah. They did not make themselves ready. And therefore, Jesus had to do all that for him. And he has allowed a time for the Gentiles, nations, to get in on this thing and be saved. But one of these days, you know, it will be at hand. One of these days, what was supposed to happen a long time ago will happen. The day of the Lord will come, and that's when Edom will be dealt with. And that's when all the heathen will be dealt with. And they will be as though they had not been. In other words, they're going to be so wiped out, it's, you're not even going to know they were ever there. That's how complete it's going to be. And I'm looking forward to the day of the Lord. So look at verse 17. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. And there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain of the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, and shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So Obadiah, here he's prophesying the end result of God's judgment on the nation. And notice, there's going to be deliverance for Israel. God's people will be saved during that time. And notice how it says Israel are going to, is going to get the land that they're supposed to have. Okay? Now, let me ask you, what is that land? Remember, with the new covenant came a better land, a better country. So Baptists, they want to read this, and, and all of a sudden it's all about you know the physical land. No, the new covenant brought in a better sacrifices, a better high priest, a better a better everything. And it came and it brought came also with a better land and heavenly country. So understand that when we're seeing all the specifics of these borders that are mentioned here, this doesn't really apply because of the new covenant, there is a better land that's to come. The dispensationalists want to make it like you know, it's all stuff that's dealing with this specific land that's going to come in the future. No, there's something much better that's coming. Something much better thanks to the New Covenant. But notice though, Edom will get nothing. Edom will be a stubble. Right, they're, they're going to be burned. And then it's, and it's all going to belong to the Lord. And notice, cause notice the very last line, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. You know who's going to get the inheritance at the end? Jesus. Oh, and did I mention we are joint heirs with Christ? So now, think how can you do, how could you say the kingdom's going to be the Lord's? It's going to belong to God, and then say it's for physical Israel when the Bible says we're joint heirs with Christ? That doesn't make sense, does it? That doesn't make any sense at all. So then, how is Israel going to get any of this? The only way is if they are of the real Israel, the new Israel, the Israel of God, the better Israel. 
that's how that's how that works. So how can we apply this to our life? What's what's a personal application that we can make? First off, do not be lifted up with pride when bad things happen to your enemies. Turn over to Proverbs chapter twenty-four. I want to cover this real quickly because we got to be careful with this. This was the downfall of Edom. Says in Proverbs 24, verse 17, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Y'all see that? And listen, there's a difference between the Lord's enemy and our own personal enemy. Okay? When somebody, if you have a personal enemy, if you have a personal grudge with someone, that is very dangerous for you to rejoice when something happens to them. Okay? Now, if it's the enemy of God, all right, so I believe it's okay for us. You know, when, when another you know, pervert kills himself or you know, dies horrible death, you know, that's safe children. We can rejoice in that. Okay? We, we are allowed to hate the enemies of God, but your own personal enemy, you don't get to hate. I should never rejoice in the fact that maybe an enemy I have at work, maybe somebody that's competing for my position or something, when I see him fall, because what? Why am I rejoicing at his fall? Because his fall is my gain, isn't it? Okay? And there's a big difference between that and some murderer that's out there, some pervert that's hurting other people. Okay? That, you know, that, that, that's a completely different thing. But when it comes to your enemies, you have no right to go hating on them. You have no right to rejoice when they fall. If you do that, the Lord may turn away His anger. Don't, don't rejoice in that. Don't celebrate. That is dangerous. We, and so, you know, look what it says in verse 19. It says, Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked, for, they, for there shall be no reward to the evil man, and the candle of the wicked shall be put out. And so when it comes to our personal enemies... God's going to deal with them. God's going to take care of things. God's going to make everything right. I don't need to take advantage of that situation. I shouldn't do that when it comes to my personal enemies. You know, I do. I need to. And I've seen some of my own personal enemies fall before. And I got to remind myself of this verse. I have to like. You know, you have to just kind of. You know. Start thinking about the cross and all that Jesus had to do for us, and how all He forgave us. Because you, you can get, because you you get lifted up with pride. Hey, it looks like the Lord picked sides. Guess He picked my side. You know, you see how you can get lifted up with pride in that situation. That is dangerous, and that's that's basically what the Edomites were doing. They're seeing Israel get destroyed. They're seeing Israel getting beat up, and they're celebrating over it. They're taking advantage of it. And God hated them for this. And boy, we better we better learn from that. So when it comes to our enemies, you know, when it comes because you know, there's some homos out there that have attacked our church. If those homos drop dead tomorrow, I don't think we ought to rejoice because some of them have made themselves our personal enemy. So I don't get to celebrate because of that. Alright? It shouldn't be any, you know, if it's if it's the random homo out there or whatever, you know, that's fine because that's not a personal enemy. Y'all see what I'm saying? So like, I I I shouldn't pray for the destruction of one over the other 
just because they're my own personal enemy. Y'all understand that? Because it, then it's now for selfish reasons that I'm wanting to see these things, and I'm like the Edomites. So I'm not going to be that way. I, I, I don't want to be that way, and so I hope uh, you guys hopefully understand what Obadiah is all about. Edom and Israel been fighting since they were in the womb, and we will be fighting until the Lord returns. But notice, you know, we're not the aggressors, are we? We've never been the aggressors. You know, Baptists have never been going around killing Jews. Never have. Totally against that. We've never done that. Now, Baptists for a long time, and I used to be this way too, we're always cheering for war with the Muslims. You know, Let's get them Ishmaelites. Let's get them Edomites. Take them out for going against God's chosen people. I've repented of that. <laughs> Gotten over that, but I never killed any myself. I was always for the military doing it. But, anyway, I hope you'll learn from that. And So that's the book of Obadiah. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your goodness to us. I pray You'll help us to learn from this lesson. Lord, help us to not have this attitude like the Edomites and rejoice when bad things happen to our enemies. Uh, help us to be a merciful people. And Lord, I just pray You'll help us to not be selfish in our dealings with other people and never take advantage. I pray that everyone got something from this. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and...